It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 at the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. My name is John Schmelk, joined by Paul Dottino on Lance Meadow. The phone number for you is 201-939-4513. We might have a couple calls from overseas, actually, Pearson. So why don't we get those two calls up, and if they are, we'll bring them on quickly. Uh, The news yesterday, and we talked about a lot on the show, the Giants uh, heading to London to take on the Green Bay Packers at uh, Tottingham, right, I believe is is the stadium they're playing Mm -hmm. at. That'll be yep. uh, the second week of October next year, so that'll be fun. We can take calls about that, and uh, this is going to be my last show, folks, before I go on my paternity leave here for about two months. I'll see you mid-July. The Our capable crew here with Pearson at the controls, with Lance, Jeff, and Paul will kind of handle everything on the huddle on Big Blue Kickoff Live. So I thought today would kind of be a good big-picture um, kind of take stock of where the Giants roster is now heading into the 2023 season, uh, what they need to do, where they should look um, as they try to figure out what to do next year. So, guys, let's start there. I mean, what do you guys think um, the Giants now heading into 2023, what do you think the biggest strength of this roster is? Why don't we start there first? Either one of you guys can jump in. Paul, well, I'll let you take the floor first okay, if you'd like. Okay, sure, yes. sure. Uh, I think, you know, the, the first thing you have to look at is this defensive line. Um, for me, I, I just I, – I, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, we're throwing Thibodeau in there. Uh, at least the front-line starters on defense look look really, really solid. And and we know they're going to be a 3-4, so you're going to consider Ojolari, I suppose, as the stand-up. Uh, on that front four. Yeah, but he's still on the line of scrimmage, so he counts. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would probably have to go there. I do think it was interesting, though, that uh, Joe Shane himself said after bringing nine new offensive linemen onto this roster since he came here, he said, and I quote him, he said, this could wind up being a position of strength, which <laughs> I don't know if any of us could have imagined that over the last 10 years. But it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how these guys progress. Okay, Lance, hold that thought. We do have a couple calls from overseas in Dublin. So I want to get to them first. I don't want them to sit them on hold and, you know, paying their, their phone bills like right. crazy. And then we will get back to our conversation. Let's go to Brian in Dublin. He's going to lead us off. Brian, you're on Big Blue Kickoff Live. And you wanted to react a little bit to the Giants sending overseas for the third time. What's going on, man? Hi guys, yeah, Hi. Um, I'm a part of I'm a part of the Irish NFL show. I would have had uh, Paul on our show previously. So uh, look, it's great news. It's great excitement this side of the world. Um, having looked at some of the stories last night, this is a bit of a mixed reaction to the fact that the was what the Giants were coming to play in the UK as opposed to go to Lambeau. But Paul has experienced the game over in the UK uh, back in 2016. He would have seen the strong fan base in which the Giants have across Ireland, the UK and Europe. And uh, it's, it's great news. And I suppose as the weeks have gone on since it was announced that the Packers were the home, were the home team, it's kind of become quite apparent that there was a real potential that it was the Giants coming. And so for it to be confirmed yesterday, um, I suppose it's just, it's on the back of Roger Goodell last week at the draft, confirming that there's a real appetite to grow the game. 
across across Europe and uh, for the Giants to be coming for for um a team to be coming over to play the Packers, which is a which is a standout game in any NFL schedule for it to be played over over the side of the world is truly great news for the fans across across Europe. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how much Giants fandom has kind of taken hold out there? Can you compare it to maybe, you know, how popular the Giants are versus other teams given that they were the first team to come out there in 07 and this is going to be their third trip now? Yeah, John, I was at that game in 07 and I think I think everybody re- remembers how poor the, the weather the weather was and how poor the pitch was and to where we are now where the stadium itself at Tottenham has essentially it's a stadium that has, has been built purposely to, to host NFL games and in terms of the support I mean the Giants have always had significant significant support this side of the world I've been supporting the Giants since 1986 um, when I was brought over to the States by my parents and it's grown the game has grown so much throughout the years the Giants have always had a a huge fan base. Um, it's significant. I saw it myself in 07. I saw it in 2016. I've been over to games in the old joint stage in MetLife. And when the game was announced, it, it was all about the Packers because the Packers are the last team as well as to travel over this side of the world to play a game. And all I've seen over the past 24 hours or 40 hours is all the Packers fans potentially take up all the tickets. I don't think they realise the enormity of what, they, what they've got ahead of them because the amount of joint fans that will be there and where we are as a team at the moment, you know, you have touched on it in terms of where we are going through a transition with a new general manager, a new head coach. Realistically, I honestly believe we would have a better chance of winning this game in London as opposed to going into Lambeau. And you can, by the way, you can, by the way, real quick, consider this an official po- apology for making uh, the folks over there go through the Cleo Lemon experience. Uh, so, so, sorry about that. All yeah. right, Lance, Paul, you guys can jump in. <laughs> yeah, Brian, I, I wanted to ask you um, specifically uh, about the fan base because we had heard, and, and I did not make the trip in, o, in 07, I made the trip in 16, that over the years, uh, as people have become more acclimated and understand more about NFL football, that the crowd at the game may be a little bit more in touch to the rules could you tell me the de- about the development of that? Because earlier, when games were coming over there, the, the a lot of the teams and the coaches and players would say, well, everybody was just cheering every play because they weren't sure what they should cheer for or what they shouldn't. I, I'm, I'm curious in, into the level of development you've seen from the crowds over the years. Yeah, Paul, I've obviously attended quite a lot of these games, you know, albeit I'm a Giants fan, having the opportunity to fly 50 minutes to watch an NFL game. I'll always take up that opportunity, and I would agree. When when we went to the game in '07, you could sense there was a lot of fans that were there more for the occasion rather than understanding the rules. But as the game has progressed throughout the years, and there's leagues across Ireland, Europe, uh, the UK. I mean, we've seen players like Jakob Janssen, for example, has just signed for the Raiders in free agency. He was playing for the Patriots last year. He was one of the first players to come through the International Player Academy. So the, the league is committing to to grow in the game this side of the world. And with that, the fans have obviously recognised that the sport is growing and they're starting to understand more. At this stage, I think people in the States who perceive the fans in Europe not to understand the game fully in terms of the rules, everybody understands the rules and understands the nature of what's happening in a game, whether it's a tight game, whether it's a blowout. So what anybody who's coming over in October to the game who hasn't experienced it, I think they will go back to the States and would highly recommend to other fans and, and people who are working in the industry to go over and experience a game, but in London. Just make sure the Giants fans are louder than the Packers fans, okay? It's, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a tough ask, but I really hope 
I really hope that's the case. Well, Brian, actually, that's where I was going to go because I think a, a lot of Giants fans, at least my reaction when the game was announced yesterday, said, I don't know if it's a pro or a con that you avoid a game at Lambeau because the weather's actually not going to be that bad in October. So you would say if the Giants actually go to Lambeau, that's not necessarily a bad thing compared to November or December. And then if you look at the atmosphere overseas, we could have split in terms of the makeup of the stadium with Giants and Packers fans. How do you see the environment playing out, given the fact that this game is going to be over in London? Yeah, the game lands will kick off at 2.30 local time. The weather at that time of year is quite nice. It's, it's quite mild. Um, from a Celsius perspective, it's usually around 15, 16. I don't know what that transpires in the Fahrenheit, but it, the weather, the conditions won't be an issue for either team on the day. Um, but I do think you'll find that when you're at the game, I'd imagine it'll be. I won't. I won't go as far as to say it'll be a fifty-fifty split, because the Packers do have a significant fan base across the UK and Ireland. But I do. I do imagine you'll be looking at forty percent of the fans will be there that are sport, that are Giants fans, and then there'll be a mixture of fans who are just there who support other teams, and I imagine they will be cheering on the Giants more so than the Packers. Hey Brian, anything else you want to get out there that maybe you know, as you said, you know, you 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 know, you're involved in the broadcasting out there that you know maybe think fans out here have you know misconstrued about the overseas fans and 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 the fans in 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 Britain and London and Ireland and Scotland in terms of you know their love for the game. Anything you want to you know say or or, or kind of get out there for us? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm fortunate, John, that I'm a part of the Irish NFL show, and we have weekly guests on. Like, for example, I won't, I won't declare a name, but we're interviewing a, a general manager later on this evening. Paul has been on our show previously when we've had him on on a tour tonight when the Giants were playing. Um, we were at the Super Bowl in, in February in LA and we were forced to do a show with CBS. So, and what, what we got from it when we were over there, people were, were taken back by the level of knowledge in which we had. But what we have, we're fortunate that we have a platform to do our show, but what we have is very much what the fans over this side of the world have as well. It's just a proper career review and we're very fortunate that the coverage in which we have here and now compared to maybe 15, 16 years ago has grown significantly. On a Sunday we have three, we have two live games like the one o'clock slate to four o'clock. We have Sunday night football. We have Monday night, Thursday. We've also got a dedicated channel which shows Red Zone. We've got NFL Network. We've got as much coverage here and now as what's on in the States. The only problem we have is the time factor because our Sunday night football starts at half one in the morning. So that's, oh, that's tough. Difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and um, just from a Giants perspective, just to get on the, I suppose just on the draft last week, I mean, whilst we are in a, in a transition, um, obviously we've got the new GM, new head coach, I think most Giants fans are, uh, are quite content and quite happy with how things have gone, in particular last week in, in the draft. I mean, we're quite fortunate that the way things played out with the first four picks, that we were in a position to get Kayvon Thibodeau, because I, I genuinely thought he'd be gone by five, and I think all of our focus was on offensive line at five. But to be in a position that Joe Shane was in, where we were, in, we could take Thibodeau and then take, I suppose, best available offensive line at seven, and in turn, it looks like we got the best available guy that we wanted anyway. Was a real, I think he, it's a home, it's slam dunk first round. And then there's other players. I know there's kind of a surprise around the second round pick but having taken time to look at his you know highlights reel over the past few days he looks like a real player and a real speedster and something that will he kind of benefit to Brian Dable's offense I think what's evident is we've selected players for the scheme in which Brian Dable wants to put it on this team not so much to do the best player available at that time on the board in terms of a draft from a draft perspective 
Brian, great stuff. I'm going to put you on hold. I want you to, if you don't mind, I'm going to have Pearson get your information. I definitely want to have you on uh, the, the Giants huddle or maybe Big Blue Kickoff Live again as we get closer to the season. All right, man? I really appreciate it. That'd be great, John. I appreciate it, Brian. Thank you, man. All right, so we're going to get Brian's information there, Pearson. Uh, In the meantime, let's go to Kevin in Dublin, and he can give us his take on on the Giants going out there once again. Kevin, what's going on? Yeah, very good, very excited. Yeah, I'm actually um, um, an Irish Giants fan. I'm living in London, and I've um, actually started up a a Big Blue UK and Ireland podcast there last year. So uh, it's just like like, like Brian was saying, the game is growing so much, and there's so many Giants fans over here. And when the news dropped yesterday, um, just social media was just buzzing, and everyone just so excited to get them over again. Yeah, and Kevin, I can say when we went the last time, we did a big blue kickoff live at at, at a pub out there, and my goodness, that place was packed. <laughs> it was Jammed. really, really impressive. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, I'm just to touch on what Brian said as well about the knowledge of the game. Like, um, I was one of those fans who uh, who came to the Giants went in '07 when they. Um, when they came over for the first game against Miami, I was looking to get into the sport. I was interested, intrigued. Um, and when they announced the game was coming over, um, I was like, 50-50, who should I support? Two very storied franchises in Miami and New York. And um, I decided to go with New York and follow them um, all since 07. So I was one of those sort of like fans that the NFL was reaching out for, so to speak. And I've been a huge fan ever since. And just seeing all the games progress and seeing the fans' knowledge in the stadium progress has been amazing. And even like when we were tweaking in the home of rugby and um, watching um, uh, the Rams game, like seeing the fans knowing, you know, how to react on third downs conversions, how to how to react, um, you know, when a, you, you stop people on third down, and and even Collins's uh, pick six, the atmosphere in the stadium. Um, when that happened was just electric. And, um, yeah, we're hoping for more of the same again. Well, Kevin, I understand. In 07, once you saw Eli Manning flash his, his elite athleticism on his <laughs> touchdown run, there wasn't any other way you could have gone. I, I, I totally get it. Paul Jason Wesley. Taylor stood no chance. No, he did not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Kevin, you mentioned Twickenham. That was the game, of course, in 16 against the Rams. So this time it's going to be at Tottenham. And as we, we heard from Brian, you know, they, they've made special accommodations with this stadium to have NFL games. Oh, Paul, it was built with that in mind. Right. Yeah, specifically. Exactly. So I want to, I want to ask you, Kevin, from, from, from your understanding logistically, and I don't know if you've been to this new stadium or not where the Giants are going to go, but what do you know about the logistics? How far is it outside of, of London? Um, is it, is it a, uh, more of a soccer stadium than a rugby stadium? What can you tell us about it? Yeah, so um, t- um, Tottenham Hotspur football team, um, soccer team, have worked with the NFL to build this stadium, and it's actually uh, purpose-built for NFL games. So the grass pitch actually retracts underneath one of the stands, and you have the, the, the artificial 4G NFL stadium uh, turf on, on the, um, underneath it, so, so there's no cutting up of grass, there's nothing like that. It's proper purpose, uh, purpose-built. And because of the drop of the pitch, um, the fans are a little bit higher as well, so you're not losing those extra seats at the front that they have to close out at Wembley. And they have um, purpose-built um, two NFL locker rooms that are separate from the soccer team locker rooms. Um, so it, it, it is fantastic. I've, done, I've gone to every game there, and I've done the stadium tour as well um, on NFL Week where they take you into the NFL locker rooms and into Roger Goodell's suite and stuff like that. It's just it's amazing. It's fantastic. It's it, it's exactly what um, an NFL stadium should be over here. And as 
as a talk about location, it literally is 10, 15 minutes in the tube from central London. So um, oh. it's in a really good location, the heart of London. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like I said, fans coming over, if you're coming over, definitely try and go over to this game. Um, it, it, it's going to be it's going to be great to be honest. Just to make sure I understand a follow up, you said the the grass field is on top of the artificial surface field, which is actually the NFL field. Is is that the way I understood what you said? Yeah, that's correct. So the grass field on top, the track uh, the tracks in three different parts underneath um, one of the stands, and you have a proper NFL pitch underneath ready to play. Mm-hmm. Cool. So they slide it in and out. And actually, it reminds me, Kevin, of the Arizona Cardinals at their stadium. They also can literally slide it in. So is that the picture mm. that you're painting from what I understand? Yeah, correct. I mean, just, just anyone go out there and just YouTube Tottenham Hotspur Stadium um, pitch, and, and you'll see like, it, the three parts go underneath this, where the fans sit, the stands. And obviously, the pitch level drops then by about four or five foot. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's ready to go. Interesting. I guess my question is a follow-up of what you were hitting on when you said in 07, once the International Series started, how you chose ultimately to start rooting for New York. I'm just curious, big-picture perspective, because once again, this International Series only goes back to 07, which is not necessarily a rich history when you look at the history of the league. So how do most fans overseas, just out of curiosity, go through the process of choosing a team, specifically none of the teams reside overseas. I'm just fascinated in terms of that. Um, lots of, I've talked to lots of fans over, over the years about how they became fans of their team. I mean, um, one of the reasons I came down to New York for me was because of, I've been to New York before. I'm more likely to go back to New York. It's more accessible. It's like a seven-hour, seven-and-a-half-hour flight from London. So, you know, it's near enough going from East Coast to West Coast, essentially, um, over in the States. Um but like talk to fans, it, it's simple as can be as simple as where you visited, where people have family, and um, certain ties to maybe soccer teams. Um, so I'm sorry, even to the color of uniforms or how cool <laughs> the uniforms look, and stuff like that. Um, but what I have noticed is no matter how people, um, fans over here became fans, their fandom is, is huge. And once they get a hold of the team, that's their team, and they're 100% committed. Out of curiosity, how does the ticket sales work for this? Does it go up to, like, just everyone and it's, it's open season at a certain time and a certain day? I, I'm just curious if it works differently over there or over there than it does over here. Yeah, so because of that, um, apart from COVID years, obviously, we have multiple games in London, and um, what the NFL UK do is they have, like, a mini-season ticket policy where you can apply for, and I have applied in the past, and I've got a mini-season ticket, so I've got... I take my ticket for all three games every year. I'm able to renew them. It's only a certain percentage, and then they have a percentage that goes to Giants fans. They have a percentage that will go to Packers fans, and then they'll have a percentage that go on General Seal, which I believe will be around June time this year for the game. But knowing that I've got my season ticket already, it makes me very, very happy. And so many people have been hitting me up for um, tickets and how to get them and stuff like that. So. Interesting. Lance Paul, you guys got anything else or we're good? Well, I, I was just going to ask, do you guys already know of, like, fan festivals or gatherings that are already planned, you know, for the week of that game? Because I know when, when we were over there last time, as John mentioned, we did a show from the pub, uh, one of those local pubs, and the place was just, I mean, people were out in the street. That's how crowded it was. Uh, what, what do you know about plans so far, or have they even been established? So, so nothing's been established of yet, and obviously, uh, as you can appreciate, tailgating over here is a little bit different with the stadiums being 
so city center and and not having actual like car parking and stuff like that. So it is a case of like, shutting down streets and having a bit of a carnival atmosphere like in, on game week. But um, yeah, they allocate pubs and stuff like that in areas for people to meet, and they will have sort of like um, fan events and stuff like leading up to the week. So there'll be lots to do, and the place will be buzzing like NFL week over here. When, when NFL comes to time, it comes to time, and it is fantastic. <laughs> Hey, Kevin, is there a PSL market for season tickets overseas? <laughs> Do you have to pay for seat licenses? I'm not sure if you understand what the term PSL means, but over here in the United States, there's, that's part of getting a season ticket. I was just curious. It was, it, it's not, thankfully, and I do know what PSLs are, and okay. it is a little bit crazy. <laughs> so sort of the cultural dif- differences is just one of those many things. <laughs> gotcha. Good stuff, my friend. I appreciate you calling in. And, Kevin, hopefully we'll see you when we go out there in uh, October next year, man. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, Thanks, Kevin. Just, just quickly, I just want to say congratulations to John and your wife on the new arrival. Very happy for you both. Oh, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. And hopefully we'll see you out there when we go out there in October. Be good, man. Stay safe out there. Thanks. That's Kevin thank you. in Dublin. Appreciate it. Um, and we'll see him out there. And, guys, look, I, I really – and, Paul, we know how you feel about the International Series. Yeah, you but know, I, I've always felt that, you know, there's a lot of ways to spread the game and, you know, you could be um, uh, much more diverse in a lot of other ways besides putting games there. But clearly the folks who do attend those games there have a tremendous passion for it. I mean, the way and the, I'm sorry, it's great to be able to serve them. Yeah, I, I think will tell you that the way I'll compare it, I think being an NFL fan in England or Europe or Germany is probably similar to being a soccer fan here, right? It's kind of more of a niche thing, but the yeah. people that are into it are really, really into it. Yeah, I, I imagine that's it. probably yeah. what it's... I mean, you go to soccer bars in the city here, right? On Saturday and Sunday mornings, whenever they play those games, I think it's right, Saturday, Sunday morning, that sounds right, yep. um, that it's packed. I mean, they're into it. My guess is that it's very similar to what it's like being an NFL fan out there. It's probably not quite as big yet as soccer is here, but I think it's, it's probably getting there. Well, John, Paul, if I could just jump in real quickly Please. to just build off of what John was saying. When Jeff and I used to do the pregame show from local bars, and we did it one year, if you recall, from Manhattan, <laughs> there were more people there interested in watching soccer mm-hmm. than there were actually in terms of the buildup to an NFL game. Now, granted, we were there relatively early in the morning, but I think your point is well laid out in terms of, yes, the diehard soccer fans, they'll go to the local establishments here in New York City at the wee early morning hours on Saturdays and Sundays. All right, so let's get back to original conversation. We're kind of talking about the state of the Giants roster here. It's a good chapter mark for you, Pearson, by the way. Uh, (laughs) um, And we're discussing what we think the the greatest strengths, and we'll get to weaknesses as well as the Giants roster where we have question marks. So, Lance, Paul mentioned the, the, the front on defense as being the thing that he thinks is the strongest. Where are you landing on that? Well, he also brought up the offensive line, given what Joe Shane had mentioned, and there's a lot of new faces on the offensive line. So I think based on that, there's intrigue, but that relies so much on chemistry. I wouldn't go so far just because you throw new people out there and it's a new scheme and a new coaching staff doesn't mean everything's going to click immediately. So I'm going to stay on the offensive side of the ball and I'm going to go with wide receiver. I do think there's a number of options at that position. The million-dollar question is, but I could say this about any position, is whether or not these guys could stay healthy. You certainly like the idea of having the tall wide receiver in Kenny Galladay. You've got Tony and Robinson now who give you that athleticism and that versatility. We know Sterling Shepard could be a staple and insurance policy for Daniel Jones. He just needs to stay healthy. And then you mix in the Darius Sladens of the world, the Robert Forsters of the world, who they 
add in at free agency. There's depth there. There's options. To me, the big hovering question mark is, of the 17 games, how much will we see all of these guys that I just named down on the field? But remember, I can't operate based on that. I can only operate based on who's on the roster. So I would go with wide receiver. I think you could at least make an argument there's some strength there, at least in terms of numbers. Yeah, look, I agree. I think I'll, and look, I think offensive line, we still don't know who one of the starters is going to be. Yep. Uh, specifically left at left guard. Yep. So mm-hmm. I think there's still some questions there. But, Paul, I, look, I agree. It's certainly in a better place having two guys with first-round pedigrees at the two tackles than it was. <laughs> yeah. in, and, sure. you know, and you signed Glowinski, who's a, a good starting-level NFL guard. So you certainly feel better about that position. And, look, I think this kind of also speaks to it where no matter where you go, there's going to be questions, right? So I'll, I'll, I agree with Lance. I think it's wide receiver. I think he hit all those things well. But the thing is that there's still – scenarios that are realistic where, all right, Sterling's not ready to go. Tony's maybe has an injury thing, you know, like he had last year. Gallaudet, you know, and then you're like, oh, boy, this is a position of weakness too. So I think, you know, that's an area where it could be maybe the biggest strength, but it also could be a weakness depending on how this goes too, right? It comes down to durability. I mean, that's pretty much what you and I are hitting on. You know, based on what we've seen, guys, over the last few years, how often do we talk about the outlook of a position right as training camp starts and then all of a sudden a week or two into training camp things drastically change and we've seen that right Shane Lemieux goes down a bunch of offensive linemen early last year Nick Gates got hurt early in the regular season so you know that changed the dynamics now all of a sudden you have to go to backups and the wide receivers for the lack of a better phrase they were dropping like flies at times it was just nonstop, one injury after another. There were some games. It reminded me of the Chargers-Giants game a few years back. Remember when Odell Beckham <laughs> got hurt and yeah. everybody else went down? So, oh. I mean, we've seen that. That's why you can only operate based on what we're looking at on paper, but also I think this is the time of the year, and I think the both of you were hitting on this, where you've got to give a little bit more substance and stock to a position where there's some proven elements in play. So, for example, the offensive line may have some veterans, but – None of those guys played with one another. Wide receiver, and I think the defensive front, you have some guys who you've seen out on the field. You have an idea of what you're going to get out of them regardless of the scheme. And I I, I do think, Paul, your defensive front is, is the safer choice there. I agree. Well, yeah, because the truth is what you guys have so well illustrated is that the durability factor is an unknown. And I'm sorry, but I have to be gun shy on that front no, because 100%. of what's happened with this team in the last decade. I I can't help but be gun shy about the durability. All right. And then where I'm worried, guys, is, is the back end of the defense. Um, there's just a lot of questions there. We'll see what happens with James Bradbury. Um, if he's not here, you know, you're looking at Dory Jackson. Aaron Robinson, Darnay Holmes, and Cordell Flott as your four corners. And there are a lot of questions there with health and durability. Who's playing outside? You know, you just don't know. And then I'll double up here. I'm sorry if I stole one of your guys' answers, but I'll be quick on it. You know, you basically have three safeties, and one's a rookie that you got drafted Mm -hmm. on day three. And that, to me, in a defense where... You're putting a lot on the secondary with all the blitzing you're going to do up front. That is, for me, a legitimate concern. It has to be, John. It absolutely has to be. And that's one of the reasons why I believe that, you know, there are those people who believe that Dane Belton was a little bit high. You in do? Terms I of, don't. You know, I don't either. I, I have no problem with him as a fourth-round choice. There are those who think he might have been. 
Uh, to my knowledge, I think his value was there, and I th- certainly think the need component was there. So I, Honestly, I thought other you know, players were picked higher than their value, more so than Belton, at least in yeah. my opinion. And to be frank with you, if you don't take Belton there, all right, I remember going over my list of safeties uh, outside of Corker out of, out of Kentucky. By the time you got to that collection or that cluster of safeties, it was very, very thin. So I applaud them for grabbing Belton when they had the chance. The guy runs in the four fours, and and that that speed factor is going to be very critical. Remember, there's no longer a Jabril Peppers around, Mm -hmm. and there's no longer a Logan Ryan around, which means not only have you lost two safeties, but you've lost two guys who are tremendously versatile. It's not just that they're safeties you're replacing. You're replacing guys who did multiple things. So I... I'm, I was all on board with Belton. I had no problem with that one at all. Well, plus Belton was exposed to a little linebacker, too, within the Iowa defense in addition to safety. So that's more of a reason why he's appealing because, to your point, Paul, if you lose two guys who were moved around and had some exposure to the slot, corner, whatever it may be, then at least you know you're bringing in somebody who may not be, once again, a duplication of those two, but you feel comfortable that he gives you some flexibility in terms of where you may want to place yeah, him. Yeah, Lance, so. just really quick. I had Belton at an end of three, end of round three, top of round four player. So that was that was right in the sweet spot for him, for me at least. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, I'm not saying that there hasn't been conversation. I haven't seen it. I mean, have a lot of people claim that that was way too early of a pick? Is that where the chatter has wound up? I mean, you I don't know. know. That's my takeaway based on what the two of you are saying. Yeah. Well, no, well, I mean, honestly, I didn't hear that either. But obviously, okay. Paul's yeah. probably getting some hate mail on Twitter. So he, that's <laughs> probably where he's tailing it. And you know, you know what, guys? It's it's truly remarkable. But and I think it's because it depends on whose draft guide some of these oh, fans of course, picked right. up. Sure. You know, they're thinking basically. I'm I'm seeing a lot of stuff coming my way. Oh, after the first two first round picks, every other player was overdrafted. I mean, this 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 has been some of the generic comments that I've got. Well, I well, it, pro, pro, I mean, I mean, I think a lot of people because it's free. Look at the Pro Football Focus board, and they were lower on Belton than some of the other guys. I think Dane Brugler, who's one of our favorites here, I think he had him in a, a either a round three or round four guy. So it so it was the PFF board. Not that, surprising. That's my guess. Yes. Yeah. Not surprising. Exactly. Well, and the other thing that has been brought up over the course of this week, and I think it's worth emphasizing, is the fact that sometimes a player is more valuable to one team than another well, yeah, based, based on how, on how they're going to be utilized. Exactly. Yeah. So, for example, Belton could be more valuable to the Giants than if you were to have a conversation about the Texans or the Jaguars. I'm just throwing out two random teams, vice versa. So, you know, that changes the value. And actually, I brought up Brugler's page for Belton. He actually had him graded as a fifth to sixth round He was fifth to sixth. Okay, my bad. Thank you. Thank you for no, that. No, that's fine. Yes. I mean, so once again, I'm sure you're going to see various different opinions. I could bring up NFL.com. They do a very thorough job in breaking down the prospects, and they usually write down where they have these players projected to go as well. 201-939-4513. We'll open up the phones uh, as we move ahead here, guys. So, look, I'll just say this. I think the Giants did a nice job in the draft, you know, improving their depth. They got some players in there. Uh, You have two potential impact guys in the first round. I don't know if I necessarily see with the picks after that. You know, you like to try to pick out a guy here or there where you say, all right, well, based on the testing and the usage, or maybe he was downgraded because of injury, that he is like the super-duper big upside moving forward. Not sure I necessarily see that in the later rounds. I see guys that are going to be in specific roles. 
And I think if you want to say, you know, based on where you are, you want to try to draft for more upside with long-term in mind, I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from, and that was my argument heading into the draft. So clearly I get it. Um, but, they, you know, they added guys that they think will help, and we'll see if they can, you know, help Brian Dable and Wink Martindale put their system in and help Daniel Jones and help the defense uh, short and long-term wise. So anything else general you guys want to say about the roster here before I get to the calls? Let's rock and roll. All right, 201. Lance, uh, did I hear you breathe there for a second? No, good? well, the only thing I was going to add to what you were going to say in terms of your layout of yeah, expectations is that, I mean, I think you got to be reasonable. When you start getting into that fifth-round territory, if you can find a guy that maybe can contribute on special teams in year one and then slowly develop into a larger role, I think that would be the ideal scenario. I think nobody, even an NFL GM, if you ask them, that they're expecting to get a starter-caliber player automatically once you start start picking players in that round right. I think is you know way outside the box so you know can you fit a guy within the scheme can he maybe get a few snaps at his given position but most important can he give you some value on special teams and then be ready to jump up the depth chart in the event God forbid you suffer an injury I mean I think that to me is usually the outlook when you get to those rounds. that's the standard answer Lance but I think because of the super seniors and the NCAA COVID thing as, as Deal had expressed to, to us, uh, I know he talked to you, John, about it. He certainly talked to me about it last year. You know, these drafts, these, this, this two-year, three-year period of drafts, you're going to have guys deeper into the draft, fourth and fifth rounds, who are going to get more playing time than your typical fourth and fifth round picks. So I think this is an outlier strictly because of the, the COVID situation. Um, and so for that reason, I, I would tend to, to say it's a little bit more skewed to finding guys who are going to give you something, at least in a rotation, as opposed to just looking for special teamers in the fifth. Well, the only thing that I'll add to that, Paul, is, listen, I'm not one that's anti-experience. I think that's great, but it really depends on the caliber of the competition that that player is going up against. Just because you get an additional year of experience doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're ready to walk into the NFL and make some noise. Of course not. Of course not. And the question is when a lot of power programs, though, who who put guys into this league in the fifth round of this year. Sure. It's still a matter of when the guys come out based on whether or not they're taking that super senior year or they're just coming out exactly. as a junior or whatever. 100%. All right. 201-939-4513. Doug in Rochester will lead us off today. Hi, Doug. Hey, how you guys doing? Hello. I called twice last weekend. I got cut off. I think you get like a 30-minute limit. Is that right, John? Yeah, clock's ticking, Doug. I, 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 I'd go pretty quick if I were you. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Um, well, I like the Giants draft, um, but. Oh, no. See, the clock is ticking. <laughs> oh, no. no. You know, he basically gave his own omen. Yeah, he did. It he was basically he summarized things. He did. So that was, yeah. He walked right into the quicksand. There was no exaggeration. The clock is yes. literally ticking by the seconds. Well, Doug, we get, give us the call back. If you have an open line, I'm sure we'll try to squeeze You know what this out. reminds me of, John? Years and years and years ago when you used to put the money in the phone booth. And if you didn't have any change, and then all of a sudden you ran out of time, and the phone just stopped. Yes. And it, yeah, insert another quarter, please. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I got no yes. more change. What do I do? Our younger listeners have no idea what we're talking about. No, no, they don't. But yes, when, when, when pay phones were a thing. All right. Uh, we got Donnie in Queens. He's up next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hey, Donnie. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are we doing today? We're great, Donnie. Hi. What's up, man? Hey, you know, just to wrap up the draft, I, I think if you're a fan, you have to be happy. I mean, I'm sure everybody, myself included, can nitpick this third or this fourth round pick. Who knows? I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> it really becomes a crapshoot. When you look at the Giants roster, 
if you're being honest with yourself, barring some, you know, big time jumps from guys like Jones, this is really a, the start of what is probably a, a, a three year process where opening day 2024 is when you really feel like this team can, com- can compete, right? We're going to have more draft picks. The cap space is going to loosen up. So I would tell everybody to kind of temper their expectations and really focus on the development of the younger players on the roster. Yeah, Donnie, it's now, funny like, you say that. I got a tweet the other day from a Giants fan who's a good follower. I like him. He's, he's, he's a good dude. And he goes, boy, you know, you look at the NFC East. It's hard to say that the Giants aren't the favorite to win the division. And I just, I, I wanted to just, you know, drop my face on the wall. And it's like, well, guys, like, well, Donnie, well, that, that's the problem. And again, I'm not trying to throw Giant fans not to have faith, not about the season, not to be excited. But when you raise expectations that way with a young team, with a coach in his first year, you have all these salary cap issues, you're, you're just setting yourself up to be disappointed. You know what I mean? Going with, with proper expectations. So when the team, you know, maybe they do play well for part of the season, you'll get very excited about it. But if you go in and you're saying it's division winning or bust, I mean, you're just setting yourselves up to be miserable for, for, for five or six months. Right. Well, and and the, you never, the other uh, thing Daniel is, go ahead, go ahead. well, I was going to say the other thing with respect to your three-year timeline is a lot depends on who the quarterback is. Yeah. That's Remember, right. I mean, if there's a change at quarterback, that timeline could get interrupted because now you have to anticipate maybe it's a younger guy you got to continue to develop. So that's the wild card. Oh, and what happens if you can't get one next year because sure. of where you're drafting, yeah. and then it gets reset for two years? So, yeah. Donnie, 100%. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, that, that's okay. You know, and I was going to say, you know, you never know. Daniel, don't go to the Pro Bowl this year. We've seen crazier things happen. But, you know, this is a team realistically next year could be looking at quarterback, interior offensive line, wide receiver, interior defensive line, inside linebacker cornerback i mean it's a it's a huge need on this team and that's really the crux of my call is i know wink martindale wants to play this press man style of defense but if they're going to survive this year defensively i, I think he's going to have to adapt maybe a semi patrick graham-esque approach where donnie they have to play a little bend but don't break i mean i understand what no you're way sa- they can hold up on the back end did you watch the ravens in the past three four games last year to end the year i well i'm hoping he learned from his mistake <laughs> because it, it's not gonna go well and, and that's assuming they're healthy right they're, they're one injury to dory jackson if dory jackson missed any games right the games that he's not playing they are fielding probably the worst corner unit in the NFL. So that was really just kind of my, my main crux is let's be excited about what they got. But even like I saw this thread today on Twitter, they were asking how many sacks for Kayvon Thibodeau this year. And these guys are throwing out 12, 15. And I'm like, dude, number one, it's hard to get sacks as a rookie edge rusher in general. Number two, it's hard to get sacks when you're losing in the fourth that's quarter. A, that's, so, that's it, Donnie. It's all about game flow, 100%. Yeah, so let, let's temper expectations Take this as the start of something new because that's really what it is. I mean, the Giants thought they could compete this year. They wouldn't be releasing James Bradbury. They would have put some other money down, and they would have made it work. So good draft to start. Let's not nitpick this third or fourth-round pick. I don't care how much YouTube videos you want. You don't know. Let's see what happens. And great draft coverage by you guys. You did a fantastic job. Thank you for that. And John, good luck with the baby. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you, Donnie. I want to add two things to what Donnie said. I thought he made a couple good points. One – and I wasn't always like this. I used to get all fired up after a draft, whether it was NBA or NFL, and be like, oh, what a terrible pick, blah, 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 blah. And this goes back to how my, what my approach to the draft is, where I try to be humble. 
in my opinion and, and being and my projection of these players where yeah, you know, maybe the team didn't draft the exact players I would have drafted. And you know, you guys heard me leading up to this, who are the, some of the guys I really liked. And you know, there is a really good chance that the team does know better than me. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the fact is more likely, much more likely than not. So, you know, this is an inexact science. So if you want to be a little bit annoyed, I get it. You wide your heart set on certain guys, that's great. But I think once the guys are on the roster, you have to give them a chance to show whether or not they can do the job that the front office thinks they can do. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, draft grades are dumb. That's why we don't do them. You're not going to know for a couple of years, and we'll see how it goes. I think that's the only approach you can take. Otherwise, you're just going to be miserable. You know, I, I think as far as the, the corner spot, and the caller was alluding to what happens if a Dory Jackson gets hurt. Look, I think we all believe that there's going to be a veteran corner at some point added to this roster. There's not many good ones out there, Paul. I'm not well. You know what? Remember when Leon Hall came in? You know, and and he was serviceable and gave them some help in a sub package. Yeah, but the, I suspect you're going to get somebody along the lines of him. Yeah, but the problem is that Paul, they they in that year they took pressure off the corners by playing a lot of zone and not asking them to no, do no, a ton. No, no, I understand. You know I mean? I'm, I'm not talking scheme. Right. I'm not talking scheme right now. That's a totally separate. Oh question. no, but no, but Paul, here's my point though. It's going to be harder to find these like guys that can oh just get by because of how much this scheme mm-hmm. asks You're of right. the cornerbacks. That's I my totally point. concur. Right, I totally concur. I'm simply telling you that. If you're looking at this cornerback room right now, don't think it's a finished product. Well, that's fair, the, too. You know, yep. Regardless of what happens to Bradbury, I do think they will try to sign a veteran corner who's got some guile and some experience and some grit about him. And physically, he's not going to be of the level that you know is going to make you very excited but he may bring something else to the table that will help out that room a little bit. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not yeah. going scheme at all right. here, John. Oh, I'm I simply saying you'll get a name. You'll get a veteran name that you'll probably recognize, even if he wasn't a, a front-line great player at one time and has his better days behind him. Right, and there, we're also, There'll be somebody else coming. And by the way, just to add to that, we're at the point now where the free agents you signed do not go into the compensatory pick Correct. formula, so that yeah. gives you a little more flexibility, too. Go ahead, and Lewis. there yeah. are guys out there who, as you know, are very happy to kick their feet up for a few months till they sign. Oh, yeah, these veterans don't want to show up. The exactly. Please. Yeah. So well, I, mean, I don't want to disparage any guy who comes in later and say, well, why was he out there so long? This guy automatically can't help. That, that's, that's not the way to talk either. No, and well, we talked about this early in the week, Paul. I believe it was on Monday's show. Some guys are also going through rehab, and they've talked to the teams, and they say, hey, I'll be ready to go around August with training camp, and other players have the Brett Favre school of thought, which means I'll just come off the plane and show up when uh, the season is as close as possible. So I don't think that necessarily means anything about the player. The other thing I was just going to add about 2016 is, you know, you did have Janoris Jenkins and DRC. You had two established veterans on that team where Leon Hall, I agree, was a nice add, even though, remember, he didn't dress more often than not because he didn't provide special teams. There were a number of games where he was a healthy scratch, but he wasn't looked at as a savior, like come in and rescue us. I think if you're going to bring in a veteran, especially depending on the health of a Dory Jackson, I think you're looking for that veteran to do a lot more heavy lifting than you what you to. expected out of Leon Hall back in 2016. Yeah, you, you don't know. The, the last yeah. guy who fits this category, and it wasn't like he played great, but he turned out to be practically a starter full-time, was B.W. Webb. When they yeah. picked him up off the scrap heap, he was just yeah. a, a guy who had some experience in the league, was thought to be just an extra depth piece, and he wound up starting almost the whole season. Yeah. 
This I, is, he was he was okay. He was fine. He was fine. He was okay. But you know, so if you rather me use BW Web as an example, I'll be happy no, to make works. you guys happy. No, I, well, I wasn't <laughs> criticizing the choice. I was just saying that you know, like anything else, Paul, there's different dynamics on the roster. No question. So that's important to point out. And here's the other thing: if you're going to bring in a veteran. It may make sense, and I haven't looked that carefully who's out there, but if somebody does have experience maybe with Wink's scheme, I think adding a veteran like that probably yeah. is a little bit more practical, especially if he misses a good portion of the spring and hasn't yeah. been around here for those conversations. I'm already looking at former Ravens uh, defensive yeah. backs, trust me. No, <laughs> and that we makes have, a lot of sense. We have three people on the line. We'll get to all three. I want to make one other big-picture point here, Pearson, before we get to them, and it's this. The most important thing that's going to happen this year are the young guys on this roster continuing to improve and figuring out about Daniel Jones. Those are the two main things you have to figure out. Because to Lance's point, adding all these young guys is great. Go ask the Jets. Jet fans are really excited about all the great guys they added in the draft. The Jets had a great draft. They added Mm -hmm. really good players. Mm -hmm. None of it means a hill of beans if Zach Wilson's not the guy. Yep. Or stays healthy. Correct. Yeah. Or does it stay healthy, I should say. Right. And it's the same deal with the Giants and Daniel Jones. So... It's all about figuring out Daniel Jones one, and then going from there, and then two. It's getting these young guys better. Does McKinney take another step? Does Andrew Thomas make the Pro Bowl or be an All Pro player this year? Ojolari. Yeah. Oh, does Ojolari get double digit sacks? Does he regress? Uh, what does Thibodeau do? What does Neil do? You know, these are all important questions. And while the veterans will be important for wins and losses this year, guys, we talked about it. Like Leonard Williams is two years left on his contract. All right, Kenny Galladay is a guy that if they want to move on from him after this year, they can. You know, Dory Jackson just has two years left on his contract. Blake Martinez and Sterling Shepard have one year's left on their contract after the end of renegotiation. So, you know, a lot of the veterans here are not, like, loaded up and signed for four- and five-year contracts. You know what I mean? So this we're still going to see a ton of change here. Now, mm-hmm. there's going to be more resources to add to the roster next offseason because the cap's going up and they cleaned up some of that this year. But you're still going to have a lot of subtraction just because of the way guys' contracts are structured after this year. And then they got to make some tough decisions. So this year, it's about Jones getting the young guys better and then figuring out what you're going to do with these vets moving forward. And that, to me, is much more important than any wins or losses that come on or off the board. Yep. I well, totally agree. What I'll add to that, John, is, and you know, I'm a big proponent of it wasn't just this year's class. It was the combination of even who the previous regime drafted, which is what you were talking yeah. about, them taking the next step forward in conjunction with this year. Because if you look at, go back to last year's top 10 picks. And once again, it's still a small sample size. But if you just look at what they did in year one and then what their teams fed off of that and whether or not they made the playoffs or had instantaneous success. As great as some of these players are, as I look at the list, you have the Niners made the playoffs, but Trey Lance barely even you know played. I mean, he got that one spot start late in the season, so I'm eliminating him. Jamar Chase, okay, who went to the Bengals, I mean, he had an outstanding season, and since he had a very pleasant, surprising campaign. And then the Eagles, who took Devontae Smith at 10, they got into the playoffs. But I don't know if I would say Devontae Smith had the same level of impact as Jamar Chase. I wouldn't go so far. So that means that there's eight other teams, guys, that had first-round picks in the top 10 last year. Their teams didn't make the playoffs. Did some of those teams make improvement? Absolutely. But it just goes to show you, if you think that Neil and Thibodeau alone are going to come in and transform this team... 
I think that's a little bit of wishful thinking because it's going to take a lot more than just the big-time statement of those two players. 201-939-4513. All right, let's get to it now. Uh, Kevin in New Jersey, he's up next. Hey, Kevin. Hey, guys. How's it going? We're great. Congratulations, John. Thank you. All right. Uh, I want to talk about James Bradbury, but I want to just say this as far as the draft goes, I'm really happy to the fact that they addressed the defensive line and the offensive line in the first round. And I just think that that's where you got to start at. So I was just good. I was just glad to see that. My thing on James Bradbury is he, he does fit into Wink's scheme. And I've heard you guys saying, oh, kicking the can down the road. But if it's a player that you want to keep and he brings something to the table, why is it necessarily got to be kicking the can down the road? Isn't he not worth kicking the can down the road to keep him on the team? Well, what we mean by kicking the can down the road is in terms of financial implications down the road. It's not to say that the player's not good. Yeah. You have to weigh what that means for your salary cap, Kevin. Yeah, That's you, what we mean when we yeah. talk about kicking the can down the road. It's some teams, they say, we love the player. It's just it's not worth the financial sacrifice if it puts us in a precarious spot where we can't then sign player A, B, and C a year from now or a year or two down the road. That, to me, is more of the weight when most teams make the financial decision over necessarily the upside or potential of the player on the field. Maybe I'm underestimating the impact his salary would have down the road, then. Well, remember, Joe Shane, you know, here's the other thing. If this is a general manager that has been here for a year or two, it's possible he may be more willing, Kevin, to make a move like that, that you're insinuating. But when you're new and you have a little bit more flexibility and you're really trying to clean up the cap and you have no allegiance to any of these players, more often than not, it's a little bit easier for a new GM to do that because they feel, A, they have more confidence that in a year or two through the draft, they could find a potential replacement. And B, it gives them more flexibility to put forth the vision they have set for this roster. So that's the other thing you have to take into consideration as opposed to if this was a GM going into maybe year two or year three, I think they'd be maybe a little bit more willing to make that financial sacrifice. Right, and remember, we don't know what Wink Martindale thinks of James Bradbury. Sure. You know, if, if, Wink, if he goes to Wink Martindale and says, hey, Wink, you know, we can renegotiate him, give him an extension— do you want him here? And Wink goes, eh, 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 I'm not really that excited about that. Then you certainly don't do that. And again, now, we, on the other hand, if Wink fights for him and says, I really want this guy, now you've got to start gritting your teeth, start uh, whittling down uh, the enamel, and see if there's a way you can make it happen. Right. Well, well, we, I think that might have happened already if that was the case, though. And again, we don't yeah, know for I, sure. I, We're just I, guessing, I but it is what it is. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, right. so. Appreciate the call, Kevin. You got it. Yeah, I, I think that's really the bottom line here, like we talked about. Like, they could figure out a way to keep James Bradbury here. And, he, again, he's been a good player, but does he match what they want to do? And does his skill set in this defense match what you would have to pay him to keep him here? That's the question, right? I mean, ultimately, that's the question the front office and the coaches have to ask themselves. Well, the the, the additional question has to be, okay, if we do rid ourselves of him, Wink, uh, this is what we have now on the roster. This is what we think we might be able to get. Can you deal with that? How are you going to fill that void? If, if, if you're telling me we don't have enough corners on the roster, 
Um, well, that's a big problem now because if we get rid of this guy and you tell me you have no idea what you're going to do about it, uh, that's not going to make Joe Shane happy either. Well, I'm sure they have a plan. There's, I mean, yeah, there's got to be there's got to be some type of alternative that Wink believes can at least be palatable before they actually pull the trigger, and that may be one of the reasons why any plan with Bradbury has been delayed. Sure. Sure. Because Wink is trying to figure out, okay, what can I do to move around these shells well, if mean, this guy's gone? It has to be Aaron Robinson. Look, Aaron Robinson played a lot of press coverage. Oh. He beats people up the line of scrimmage. So he's physical. He can do that part of it. The question is whether or not he has the speed to play outside man-on-man against, I think, some of those those corners. You don't uh, have those to convince me of him, man. I've been on this guy for months. I love him. Well, and I'm sure those conversations took place. And also, Wink may have had conversations with Joe Shane, and they said, listen, let's see how the draft plays out. Let's see who's accessible. And maybe we find the guy that pleasantly was there that we didn't think we were going to get to. Now, granted, they did bring in Flott. You know, I don't know if necessarily that makes them feel secure in the event they do part ways with Bradbury, but I'm sure that was part of the conversation. The other thing that I wanted to add to the last caller's point, which I brought up, I believe, earlier this week, or maybe it was last week, remember, the Giants could have approached James Bradbury's representatives and said, hey, you know, we're willing to work with you to add more years to your contract. And Bradbury and his reps say, we want to test the free agent market. We don't want to lock ourselves up to this team if we can have the ability to make more money. So you have to understand the team may want to do something like that too, but the player has no interest and the player is under no obligation to the team to then have to extend his contract to help out the team from a cap space perspective. I know I'm going off on a tangent, guys, but I've been no, a proponent Lance, of this, right. too. Right. No, I, I get tired when I hear people criticize players. Well, they didn't take less money. They don't care about the team. It's not the job of a player to be the general manager of a football team. It's not. You may dislike that, and you may think that's unselfish, but it is not James Bradbury's job, nor anyone else who wears the Giants uniform, to have to renegotiate a contract or do something to make sure that the Giants are in a healthy cap situation. That is not in any contract, and that is not the job of any NFL player. You know something, fellas? There's another avenue here that I don't remember anybody even writing about, and that is this. There was the talk about, well, they're going to try to move Bradbury before the draft, and Joe Shane has said the trade market was a lot more difficult than he thought it was going to be. All right, now the draft is over. What if you now go back to a few of those teams and say, guys, how do you feel about your cornerbacks now? Of course. Would you like like to maybe talk deal for a 2023 pick? And maybe, John, as you have often said, you'd love to get another pick next year. Maybe that's one of the things that Joe Shane is doing to see if he can get something along those lines. Sure. And Aaron Robinson, by the way, did run a 4.3940. I had to go look that up again to remind myself. Just 5.11, though, and 30-inch arms, which are not long. So he has the speed. We'll see if he has the size then to play outside. Part of me. Well, but the one thing, John, that I just want to throw in, Paul, I understand where you're coming from, but also if you're another team – you could be saying to yourself, if we know the Giants are going to part ways with why Bradbury, why am I giving up a resource? Because there may be three or four other contenders who are thinking the same thing, that we would love to have this cornerback, and you don't want to deal with him on the telephone. Yeah, that's true, too. I mean, sure, that's that why. certainly a possibility. I just think a lot of teams are of the mindset where there's not that level of urgency, I think, right now, that they'd be willing to take their chances that the Giants wind up well, releasing him as opposed to having to give up a draft pick. As John said a little while ago, is so freaking thin. If you know that James Bradbury's available and you got a chance to get him, you know what? 
Joe Shane could probably do a little squeezing on somebody. Well, but, but keep it one other thing, Paul. Remember, if you trade for Bradbury, the other equation is the money that you have to absorb, too. Understood. Keep and in maybe mind. that's you know, part of the stickiness. Well, and I think that is – I think that's the big stumbling block. I don't think any teams are saying to themselves, we're not interested in James Bradbury. I think they're having the same obstacle as the Giants who are trying to hold on to him from a money perspective. If you now trade for him, not only do you give up a draft pick, let's say, or a resource of some sort, you have to now absorb his contract this late in the game into your cap situation. That's not necessarily easy for a lot of teams. That's why players need to be very, very flexible with their salaries. Well, they don't we're not need, going down that well, road Well, they don't again. need to be anything. <laughs> I said what I said. Yeah. So, 201-939-4513. Keith in London, you'll be up next. Let's go to Matt in Cranford. He's up first. Matt, what's going on? Hey, guys. How's it going? First, what's I got to say, Paul, loved when you said changing the recipe to the meatballs yesterday. I'm using that a lot more often now. Oh, You're very welcome. Uh, I want to talk about, obviously, a lot of attention goes to the incoming draft class. But I'm curious about the second-year guys and the quote-unquote superstars. If you guys have seen any tells that they, they're going to be used differently, for in, example. In terms of who? Up, is Leonard Williams slimmed down? Anything like that, that's, that's a tell that, that someone's really going to be used as a different kind of piece this year? The only thing that I saw is that Dexter Lawrence looks a little bit thicker, so maybe he might be used to nose tackle a little bit more. Other than that, I haven't noticed anything. Paul, have you seen these guys uh, in person? Oh, Shane Zimenez has bulked up some, but again, I don't know how much of a rotation guy he's going to be. I mean, he's going to have to fight to make this roster, I think. But um, no, I, I would be with John. I think that may be the... The only guy who obviously looks a little bit different in terms of body type. Okay, that's good. Wow. Thicker. Ojolari Ojolari looks a little thicker, too, I I have to say. But, again, he was a rookie last year, so that could just physically be maturing. I'm not saying that he's bulked up, per se, as a matter of just physically maturing a little bit. And remember, when a guy bulks up, it's one thing to do that without the pads and the uniform on. Once he puts the pads and the uniform on, you know, that's the true tell in terms of how he's going to perform. Some guys may look the part, and then all of a sudden you add that extra weight on them, and they're limited. to a Heads or not, if Ojolari's coming at you, he can hurt you. Well, yeah, no, but I'm not talking about you going after Ojolari. I'm talking about does the player get impacted by putting on the additional weight from a negative standpoint. That's what I'm sure. talking about. All right, let's go to yeah. Keith. Oh, I'm sorry, Matt. Do you have anything else for us? Just, just that Matt Pert looked like Super Shredder last year, and obviously that didn't work out. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Uh, Paul, do you have any idea what that reference is? No. I think you did. That's okay. That would be a, I believe that's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reference, yes, right, that, that's where I was yes. going to go with that. Correct, I yes. I believe that is correct. But he went super shredder, not yes. typical shredder. Super shredder. So wasn't there one where, like, they gave them some type of superpower? I think a shredder, like, bulked up or got bigger, right? Yeah, that I was mean— one of the films? Uh, I think so. Yes, I, yeah, yeah, he, like, took, like, the, like, version of, like, super steroids, right? And he Correct, got exactly. Juiced up. Yes. Yeah, so I'm assuming that film is the one yeah. in the series. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not sure to. I would put Matt Parrott into that, that category either. He's always been more of a uh, live guy, for lack of a better term. He's never been, like, super-duper bulky or anything like that. Let's go to Keith in London. He'll wrap us up. Keith, what's going on? Hi, yeah. Um, I hope everyone's okay. Uh, my name's Keith. I'm um, for the last twelve years. I've run one of the largest Giants fan communities outside of of the US, and oh, I, I wanted to kind of call in, and, and I wanted to kind of just call into the show and just kind of talk to to fans in New York and New Jersey and just kind of reassure them that 
I understand, a bit like Paul, some people might be a little bit kind of, well, we're losing a game. Why are the Giants going to London? Believe me, the fans over here are big blue down to their bone marrow. We are absolutely rabid fans. Um, if you think back to 2016 at Twickenham, it was a Rams home game, but we turned that stadium into Giants Stadium. You couldn't hear anything else but Giants fans. Um, the fan, We're already kind of mobilising and reaching out to, to the UK Packers, and we want to make sure when the fans come over here, it's even better than it was in 2016. Well, Keith, I want to ask you that. Like, Can you talk about the nature of being an NFL fan out there? Just what it's like? Is it really like a, a niche thing? Is it becoming more widespread? Just how is it looked at in terms of you guys being such a passionate fan base for a sport that's obviously not as popular as, as you know European football out there? It's very interesting you should say that. The NFL since 2007 have done an exceptional job of driving the kind of popularity of the sport here in the UK. If, I'm sure if I remember looking at TV viewership numbers, NFL is already watched by more people than cricket and rugby here in the UK. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, okay. Uh, and if I think about the, where I work, the company I work for, I'm surrounded by a lot of people in their 20s and 30s. There are more NFL fans than there are soccer fans. Um, well, also, they had an opportunity to grow up with that sport. I would think that helps, Keith, especially since it started the International Series in 07, whereas maybe the older crew experienced some of those other sports growing up. Exactly. So, I mean, I am part of the older crew, so I remember NFL highlights from the 80s, watching the Bears, watching the Parcells Giants. But if you're a fan growing up now, there is arguably more NFL on TV than certainly there is cricket and rugby. Because if you have access, you've got access to Game Pass, you have access to a dedicated NFL channel on Sky Sports, the main sports platform here in the UK. And Sky Sports have their own podcasts. They are interlinked with NFL UK. So the popularity of the sport here will surprise you if you weren't already aware, as will the knowledgeability of the fans. If you're an NFL fan here, you have to work hard to be a fan. So you have to stay up till 4 o'clock in the morning to watch your team lose. Mm-hmm. That makes you a hardcore fan. <laughs> yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I and can see that. that. Oh, yeah. Hey, let me ask but you this. Back- are, are, are the fans yeah. over there, the NFL fans over there, fans of the real game, or have they been infected with the toxin known as fantasy football like the folks have in the United States? I mean, there are a lot of people here playing fantasy football. Okay, Most of the people where I work... They do play fantasy football. I play fantasy football. But people here are fans of the teams, the teams that they have backed. They're not just idly watching the game and just following players that they've tagged in fantasy. Um, I'm a Giants fan because I love New York. My company used to send me there on work years ago, and I remembered the Parcells Giants, Lawrence Taylor, Carl Banks. Um, In 16, I had an opportunity to meet Carl Banks at that pub. It was literally one of those, you know, lifetime moments to meet Carl Banks. Um, and fans here will, are choosing teams and they are loyal to those teams, which is why, oddly enough, when often there's talk of a UK franchise, a lot of fans go, eh, I'm kind of happy with my own team, thanks. Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. That's cool. Yeah, because they might not have a fan base because, teams, because fans already attach themselves to other American teams, right? Mm-hmm. That is that's a very very important point. That the fan community here is is very large and it's very supportive. So again, 
accidentally, I've ended up running what we call New York Giants Fans UK. It's a very large community. But every single organization, Packers fans, Cowboys fans, Steelers fans, we all support each other. So we've all helped raise the popularity of the sport. Um, And we all talk to each other. Um, it's, it's, It's arguably the way sport should be. Rivals, but not enemies. One more question for you. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Jaguars have played more games in England than anyone else, correct? Miami's played a few, correct. too. I believe but it's, so. it, Jaguars yeah. are number one, right? Yeah, Jags have got an agreement to basically play every year. Okay, so so do they have maybe a larger fan base because they've made more trips? I would say they have a younger fan base because I think... I think children uh, are being attracted to the Jags. And the Jags are doing a very good job of marketing themselves. So I think if, if the Giants community is sometimes made up of people that have passed their fandom down, same as the Bears and the Steelers, uh, there's a wide variety of people, a lot of older ages. But I think when you come to Tottenham, which is a fantastic stadium, much as it pains me to say, it's, a, it's the best stadium in London, um, you'll see a lot of children running around in Jags gear. You know what's interesting? We've heard from a lot of international fans, Keith, and they always say that they're enamored by New York. I'm just curious your thoughts on the state of New Jersey because, you know, Paul (laughs) is a passionate New Jersey native, which tends to balance out this show. So I was just curious what the international feel is about New Jersey as opposed to New York, Keith. Look, I'm going to let you know right off the bat before you answer that question. The New Jersey Turnpike is not the prettiest road you're ever going to go on. See, you see, Keith, even New Jersey natives have to find excuses, notice, before you even can answer the question. So I, I just wanted to make sure we preface it that way. If, if you're aware of the history of the Giants, then you know that New Jersey is just as integral as the history of this team as New York City itself. If we there you go. The hey, that, Keith, of Keith the you've been well prepared with the politically correct answer. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll wait, give you kudos for that. You know, Keith, hold on. <laughs> um, I, I have Pearson here uh, tracing your call. Are you at the consulate over there with your diplomacy <laughs> skills in London or not? <laughs> uh, no, but my job involves me talking publicly all the time. So <laughs> there I'm, you I'm, go. Hopefully. Uh, yeah, so hopefully I've... I've ah, he knows Parcells is a Jersey guy. That's all that matters. Thank you, Keith. Thank you for calling him, man. Thanks, and, Keith. Uh, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to catch up with the NC out there in London in October, right? Yeah. Yeah, hopefully we can talk to you. Remember, if, if, if you need to hit us up, we're at Giants fans UK on Twitter. I'm a good friend with Kev who runs our podcast. You spoke to Kev earlier. Um, you can get hold of either one of us. But, yeah, definitely, we are the UK fan base for the Giants, and we're ready to engage with you guys as soon as you come over. Uh, give that Twitter handle one more time for me. At NYGiantsFansUK. Awesome. Good stuff, Keith. We appreciate you calling in, man. Thanks so Thanks. much. Thanks, Keith. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. So uh, this is great, man. On my last day here, I get two Dublin Irish accents. Then I get the proper British accent. I'm on, like, cloud nine. That was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love accents. You guys know that. I'm a we're, big fan of accents. We're giving you an international send-off, yes, John. Yes, you are giving me an international <laughs> send-off. And by the way, this is great. So this came to mind as, as Paul Trash Fantasy Football. Paul, I'm going to try to twist you into a pretzel here in my last statement before I leave. Oh. So oh. we know how Paul hates fantasy football, right? 
We know how Paul also hates pro football focus, right? It's like two of the things that drives him, that along with his hatred for the other teams in the NFC East. <laughs> so pro football focus agrees with you, Paul. They said, Uh-oh. you know what? Fantasy football is not a true guide to building a real football team. Wow. So they have actually launched a brand new product where they have a fantasy football product where you draft offensive linemen, you draft <laughs> defensive players, you draft linebackers, guys in the secondary, even kickers and punters. Does that mean that you well, are, will be happy? Are you all in <laughs> on Pro Football Focus's version of fantasy football? Should I call over there and get you signed right in? Because that's <laughs> real football, right? Hello? Yeah. <laughs> but is this for a scoring system throughout the season, John, or is this just like put together your own team? No, they 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 have, they they have developed their own scoring system for like linemen and stuff. Yeah, like I was going to say. Have, I guess yep. it means mm-hmm. like not surrendering a sack and so forth uh, and all that. I believe it well, goes off their their grading system. Oh, their grading system. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. So, Paul, you in? You're it's all an, in. It's an admirable attempt, <laughs> but it falls short. Oh, that, the other question I was going to ask Keith, actually, I'm, I'm actually surprised that I overlooked this, was uh, what does he do to get the toxins out of his body? Because he did explain that he does play fantasy football, and Paul asked about all of those people that have uh, taken the toxins. Put more emphasis on the so, fandom of yes. the uniforms and the teams, which is the way it should be, and I'm glad for him. Well, clearly, I think he laid that out, that overseas, they certainly put the emphasis. He said, even what was it, or maybe one of the previous callers had mentioned that some of them choose their favorite team based on the colors. Of the uniform. So, there you have it. They follow your rule book. The one that you've written in imaginary land. Hey, I come on. Say. You, hate, you yes. hate fantasy as much as I do. Lance. No, I play fantasy football. So no, I you really do? Hate it as Paul, much. Yeah. you think Lance I hates fantasy, fantasy football? football? Yeah. I thought he did. No, I mean, I'm not, I'm not walk, living and breathing it on a daily the, basis. Oh, but I certainly play it. Walk into the booth one day and look at what window Lance has open on his laptop. Well, and, like, and, 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 and as highlights pop open. up on the screen, <laughs> I look back at random times. Lance is stand. Pierce has watched me. Lance is standing like this, pumping his fist on like a second and ten. The Giants ran for two. I said, like, Lance, what's going on? He goes, oh, Boo Williams just scored a touchdown. I'm psyched. Let's hey, go. Boo, Boo Williams for was real. responsible for a fantasy Okay, okay. okay. So okay. here we so, are. You're watching the game. always have a special place in my heart. <laughs> so, John, let me get this straight now. Yes. You're watching the game, and you're making sure that Bob has all his spots, and you're you're keeping track of some stats and everything else for him. Uh-huh. I'm watching the game, taking five notes on seven different things I've seen on every snap, and Lance is looking at his computer screen for fantasy football. No, is that some the way of us it works? can multitask. It's cool. wow. <laughs> we can pay attention wow. to multiple games. Some of us actually cover the league, so it's imperative that we follow. Well, that's why I look at seven things on every play. Well, okay. So wow. That's why. So that's the okay. answer to your question. In all terms right. of the clarification. Thank yes. you. I'm glad that we Let's got all that Let's say goodbye, fellas. All yes. right, everybody, I will see you, everybody, in about two months. Thank you for all your well wishes. I'll be, still be around. I'll show up at practice. I'll see everybody still here and there. So feel free to tweet at me, but you're not going to hear me on a show here uh, probably until two, for a couple months. So I, I might call next Thursday, Lance, when you guys talk schedule release, just so I can poke you about how how insignificant it is and, well, and get you your Well, you probably should up. wait to save that call for Friday because it comes oh, for, out yeah, late Thursday night. Point. So you could, Friday, listen, you could yeah. call it to poke me on Thursday, <laughs> but I don't know how much it's going to lead <laughs> Good. to much of anything. <laughs> fair so. point. Yes. See you All right, guys. guys. Have a great one. We'll see, I'll see you in a couple months. These guys will be back with you for another show tomorrow at noon on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll see you then.